Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Politics for You. This week is going to be on the topic of climate change. Uh, we're joined by um, the, um, Joshua Carmel. Sorry, the rest of your surname's covered up. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, Joshua Carmel Brown. Well, thank you very much. Um, um, who's who runs the Acclimatised podcast? So do you want to tell us quickly a bit about the podcast you run? Uh, yeah, so the Acclimatised podcast is about kind of leaders in the industry and people across the environmental industry who are working on new technologies. And it's just for students and anyone really to get an idea of, of what they're doing uh, and maybe how to get involved, especially as students kind of, you know, breaking out of university and trying to get jobs. It can be quite difficult. So everyone who comes onto the podcast will give their advice about how maybe to get into the industry. Sounds pretty useful. Um, yeah, thank you for that. And uh, yeah, so we thought it'd be a good person to join us to talk about climate change this week. So we should talk about three um, kind of um, br brief topics around climate change. Um, so first, I think probably to start off is like, why should we care about climate change? As you know, we also have the coronavirus crisis, which hopefully is coming to an end here in the UK and then hopefully the rest of the world in the coming years. But obviously the climate change crisis is one which we keep going on and doesn't seem at this point to have a, any de definitive ending. So um, as it's quite a widely kind of accepted kind of viewpoint, thought we should talk about or why, why is this something that we still care about and especially as students? Yeah, so like you said, the kind of the COVID crisis is hopefully coming to an end, um, but it's definitely raised the profile a bit more about climate change. I think thinking back to uh, initially when it started in China, when, when they went into lockdown, you could see the impact that a lockdown would have on emissions, you know, less people traveling, the massive impact that that would have. So it, it is definitely something that we all need to be focusing on and all need to care about. And there's kind of various reasons that we can kind of talk through. Yeah, I saw that yeah, this year, well, 2020, and they just went and the UK had the sharpest decline in um, CO2 emissions um, in recorded history. So it just shows the fact that, yeah, that what, um, what lockdown did cause. But I mean, the issue with bouncing back is a lot, a lot of the industries that we'd want to bounce back in would in, um, sufficiently increase our CO2 emissions. So this is really important when we're thinking about how do we restart our economy and how do we get back to normal levels of growth? Well, at first would be like increased levels of growth, but once we get back to a stable economy and stable growth, like do we do that and we just go as normal or do we, you know, invest in a green, a green, green technology and do things in a much better way um, rather than just like after the financial crisis, which saw like, which saw um, increases in CO2 emissions. Exactly. So there's, as I said, it's raised the profile of, climate change and a lot more companies as they're kind of restarting and thinking about their own finances they might be thinking about their own carbon emissions and what they can do to reduce them as companies employers or just generally people have thought about maybe their lifestyles what they can eat less kind of changes they can make to maybe the cars they're driving uh, impacts on how they can reduce their own uh, carbon emissions I think it's great. We can. I, I mean, I went to the supermarket the other day, and I could see all the advertisements Sainsbury's are doing about they're going to halve their plastic. I think by 2030 or, or 2025, even, and then going net zero. I think even 2030 or something like really even earlier in the UK government. It's really great how a lot of companies are really taking the initiative, and they kind of see like the appetite with it with the, their customers. Like most people, it's what's amazing, especially in the UK, is that across the political spectrum, everyone agrees climate change is an issue. So, yeah. so whoever you are, you that's you want you know, CO2 emissions to be cut and you really want to do the best environment. 
So these companies are really taking that initiative and making their own steps and making their, themselves a lot greener. Yeah. yeah exactly. and the, Sorry, go. On. Oh, okay. And the fact that you were saying, James, how that like seniors, for example, have done this before, like the government's aim, like they're hoping to get this done before them, shows another issue which we can come on to later is, as you've said, like um, across the political spectrum, everyone realizes it's an issue, a massive issue, but the extent of the solutions and how much they're willing to give and take um, um, is something that needs to be looked at because it's not always just a simple black and white issue like to the government. Sometimes they feel that they can't do something because of something. So it's just interesting to look at the actions like we've seen. There's been estimates um, the, of the increase in global average temperature since the end of the last, last ice age are, have gone up a lot which shows that it's just going to keep and keep on increasing until like sufficient change has been made. Exactly, exactly. And that, that's the whole idea, you know, the way we kind of talk about companies recognising that this, this is a big thing for them and that people are starting to look at companies being held accountable for their carbon emissions. So you get companies like Sainsbury's and Tesco and kind of car companies as well competing, you know, kind of dropping, you know, they're going to say, oh, I'll drop my emissions by 2030. And then you've got another company that says, I'll do it by 2025. And it's something that they're, they're actually competing in now, which is good to see. Mm. Yeah. It'd be interesting at looking at that, like the free market, I guess, of prices and then seeing, do, do uh, actual consumers, are they more likely to spend money on a company that says they're going to drop their <laughs> emissions by, sorry, apologies, I have a dog. Um, um, by uh, you know five years before another company, or is this quite like a, a minimal factor in, in consumer decision making? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely something people are, are thinking about, um, and it, and even if they're not necessarily acting on it, they're definitely starting to think about their lifestyle choices and how it impacts the climate and the kind of companies that they use. And as companies are held more accountable. Uh, they can't kind of shy away from their emissions. So the big, the biggest companies are, are having to show this is what we're doing. What are we doing to counteract that? And a lot of people have said that what they can't be doing is is kind of just offsetting their emissions. So you know there are companies that kind of grow trees to offset the emissions that they're doing, but they need to figure out a way to actually reduce the emissions that the business are, are making. Yeah, that's an important point. And if we keep at the current levels now, that's not good enough. We need to decrease. So offsetting, really, I'd find I'd get you to the stage we are now. But the, the trend is going down, thankfully, and has been since 1990. But that just needs to come on the same rate. But if we had a, kind of had a nice segue to our companies, which was something I originally envisaged, but I think also like the important third players, and you've got individuals, you've got governments, but you've still got companies which. I guess uh, you find governments can regulate, but it's, it's much harder for, you know, as us to cause change in those companies. So it's, it's great that they're kind of doing it on their, on their own way. Um, but if, so if we go back to, so why is like, what is the problem of like climate change? Like what's actually gonna happen? Do we know, we said like, we want like between a 1.5 is the ideal in the, in, according to like the Paris Accords and between 1.5 and two we'll settle on, but anything beyond two with degrees, sorry, Two degrees increase, um, we're, um, we're told is you know going to be like terrible, catastrophic. But what's actually going to occur if if that comes? Yeah. So what kind of sounds like a small increase in temperature, kind of one two degrees Celsius? You don't you don't really imagine that it can have as as much of an impact as it is going to have. And obviously the impact is going to be you know kind of hotter climate will lead to storms getting worse, storms getting more powerful, and that has lots of kind of 
knock-on effects in in uh, drier and hotter places that is going to continue it's going to get drier it's going to get hotter wetter places are going to get wetter and that's a problem for the ecosystem that's a problem for animals that's a problem for humans it's a problem for everyone it's definitely something that everyone needs to be focused on and be thinking about just as much as they're thinking about healthcare and jobs as well yeah, I think it's important to know that the, like climate change does affect now as well. Even you know, we can we can see even just through our own like personal experience, like how the weather, especially in, like in the you know in the spring and summer, is a lot warmer than it seems to be. And I think many like, I don't know the exact statistic, but a, lot, a large majority of, the, of like the hottest days have been very recently yeah. um, com- compared to when it's been recording for you know, 20, 30 years, um, and so this shows the and the main risk in, in the UK is you know we've seen like the, the floods over the last few years and the damage they do to people's properties and um, the economic damage and what what that requires from, from the government and what that does to the people. Um, we see greater heat waves, especially older people, quite susceptible to uh, uh, unfortunately fatalities through um, heat waves. Uh, but that's just if you look at the UK. But if you look at worldwide in terms of um, when if, if temperature rises too much, then obviously the, the it's not suitable for human living. So I would call it migration, and that migration is going to be a, a quite a big problem over the next um, 30, 40 years um, due to climate, where people just easily can't live, they can't do their job, they can't grow crops that, there anymore due to drought, due to increased temperature. And where are these people going to go, and how are they going to um, where they're going to migrate to, and how they settle in? is going to be uh, something that the, the world is going to have to try and adapt to. And hopefully the, if we can control the, the, the increase of climate change, it will be a rather gradual uh, migration rather than millions of people all at once. Because um, according to the IPCC, the um, Intergovernmental Panel Climate Change, which is made up of like hundreds of um, scientists, that uh, by 2050, there'll be 150 million climate migrants, which is like a massive number. So obviously we're going to have to learn how to deal with that. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, kind of talking about not only the increasing migration of people to areas where, you know, they'll actually be able to live, but also the increasing migration of people into cities. As countries continue to develop, there's going to be a lot of migration from people into cities, which is going to increase emissions. The population is expected to continue to increase significantly and it's, we've got a big challenge on our hands to try and reduce emissions significantly while the population continues to grow. I think that takes quite nicely. And so we know, we know what we need to do. We need to reduce emissions, but focus on the UK government specifically, specifically, I should say. Um, is the UK government really doing enough? They've got some you know, great targets, net zero by 2050, or even better than that, um, a reduction of, 78% of carbon emissions by 2035. So it sounds all great on paper, but do their actions, often with the Tory government, do their actions reflect what they're saying? Well, like you said, you know, there's, there's very ambitious targets from companies as well as the government. We've seen kind of the government set targets, you know, net zero by 2050. Um, I know that kind of in the past year, Boris set a target of kind of uh, no sales of, of cars with petrol or diesel. And past 2030, but although they set these ambitious targets, they're not necessarily uh, putting the actions in place 
to get to this stage. So like we were talking about with the transport industry, um, in order to get to that target of, of zero emissions from cars and vans by 2050, you've got to remove 20,000 cars every week from the roads of the UK until 2050, which just isn't possible. So there has to be another way to, to get to that stage without you know, taking drastic measures like that. Um, and it's about them putting in the money as well as joining with uh, private companies. Everyone's got to work together to, to get to this. And do you know for the, that 20,000 figure, would that, if they converted them all into electric cars, would that meet the criteria? Or is even that because of the process of making those cars? That... I, I think it would, it would get much, much closer yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, but even kind of Boris has said that still hybrid cars will be allowed to be sold after 2030. And what we're seeing is that most of the new cars that come out nowadays have some sort of hybrid aspect. So it's still, you're kind of leaving room for car companies to sell hybrid cars that still emit, you know, have emissions. And obviously you can't go all electric that quick with the amount that they're investing. They're only investing kind of 4 billion, which in comparison to, you think about the high speed railway project, they're investing 100 billion and they're, they're setting this you know crazy target with cars and vans on the road of the uk and they're not investing anywhere near enough mm. and they're yeah. still investing a lot in um railroads as well so in uh, in roads um which obviously if, if you want to kind of convert people away from using you know cars and private vehicles that's not really where the investment's needed yeah yeah I, oh sorry Go I would say, and obviously, like the charging of electric cars, if they keep them hybrid, will be an issue because you have to keep recharging them. So people will just be deterred from doing that because it can be a lot of effort, especially on like a six-hour drive to find your plug-in spot. So sort all the that out. Yeah, um, exactly. yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, kind of, you got to think about if they're not going to be selling any petrol or diesel cars past twenty thirty, the infrastructure that's got to be in place in the UK for people to have charging stations all over their local area. I mean, I have kind of some near me, but it doesn't seem like the infrastructure is going to be in play in nine years' time when they stop selling petrol and diesel cars. Yeah, mm. definitely. And also, I think the science kind of needs to advance as well. And you've got, like, engines, which physically just, on, on electricity, just can't run. What If you want to do a long-distance drive, it will need a charge, which, if especially, I don't know, but, Precise figures how long a charge takes, but there's the inconvenience of having to charge it. So I guess the more investment these companies make and in, into electric vehicles, the greater that science will get. And so we'll get to a point where we, that won't need to happen, which as it stands, it um, can be a major inconvenience for, for someone that has to do long drives. But I guess equally, you, somewhat, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want such an individual to be doing long drives regardless. So Maybe if they're doing that, you'd find them like a season pass and a railway ticket or, or something like yeah, equivalent. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously we've got you've got to think about kind of the role governments play because they will be crucial. And especially in the UK, you know, they are spending money on research and they are creating policies that help drive that research out of the lab and into the market. And their job is to, with all these new technologies, is to get them into the market and start to scale it. And then the private companies can take over. And so developing new policies is just as important as developing new technologies. Mm. Um, yeah, and the um, IPPR, which is a um, progressive think tank, commissioned a report back in November, 20, November 2020 and found then that the government is only investing 12% of the £33 billion pounds a year it would need to combat climate change. And the, uh, the major kind of change that, that they sort of needed 
would be that to change the heating systems is a lot of our houses you know the, the boilers and the, the gas and how it's you know it was made is, is quite old and so it isn't the way it's done does create a lot of excess um, emissions and the insulation houses just aren't there and so for an individual who lives in a, who doesn't have enough money they're not going to want to spend money changing the insulation house changing their boilers or moving house or, or whatever like that so it's up to government to really kind of plug that hole and where the, where that that financial so that that where the money isn't there so the individual can do that because in amount of money people just spend on heating the homes just because they just can't keep it insulated and the heat just goes out so and but it's equally on the other hand it's great that the, all these companies i know we were tanya and i lived together and we were with octopus energy and all that energy was from renewable sources and it's really great and people like i know that we saw that like a lot of students i'm sure will be like, i'm only going to get from a renewable source um, company yeah, well, it's great to see kind of, you know, people making the decisions that they can make in the position they are. So obviously, naturally, you kind of, you're not necessarily going to buy an electric car if it's 10, 20 grand more expensive than a petrol car. If you can't afford it, you're not going to do it. Like, like with the homes, you're not going to make decisions that kind of buffer you massively financially. You know, people aren't, aren't not, not most people aren't thinking like that. They, they want to make as much individual change as they can, but you can't, always afford it so yeah there needs to be incentives provided by governments and companies to to close that gap so um there's a, a committee called the climate change committee and they and they advise the government in terms of well, climate change can you imagine and they have 21 indicators um kind of judging because obviously we've got this 2050 target and we've got they call them carbon budgets kind of along the way so we've already met the first two and then the third were due to be met but the fourth and fifth um and sixth and after that is due to be missed um and so they say these indicators in order to kind of rate how on track the government is in, in meeting these carbon budgets and then finally the net zero and of these 21 indicators only four of them were actually on target and seven of them were going in the wrong direction so i think it, it clearly shows the kind of what is needed like is massive change and massive investment and that even if we carry on decreasing carbon like we are now it's still not going to meet it we need to like accelerate and then the only um kind of the different sections and the only one that um kind of met there all the Christ in the indicators in that area kind of met the met the le met the levels that were needed was power and like land use forestry waste agriculture buildings transport and fluorinated gases were the ones in which at this uh, the current rate we're not going to meet it in those areas so it shows that on on one on, on one area we're doing great but in all these other areas even though the, the overall picture does look good if you look at the nitty-gritty there's still so much more to go yeah exactly there's there's a lot that the government are doing well i mean the offshore the offshore wind uh, power of the uk is one of the best in europe so that's definitely something we can congratulate the government on doing but it's something they need to continue as well as focusing on all the other areas. And it, there is gonna require drastic change because they're only setting these ambitious goals now and they didn't set them 20, 30 years ago. Now we're gonna really have to go through a lot of changes. And obviously it's also gonna rely on the, the public being willing to make these changes to their lifestyle. And it will start impacting daily life of everyone in the UK. Yeah, and we've got COP26, which we're hosting this year. Um, so that's gonna be a big opportunity for us, you know, Alok Sharma, is the president and he's I, I follow him on twitter i can see he's been doing a lot i mean he, he was the I mean, business secretary um but now he's that's his role completely 
So it's going to, we have to take advantage of that. You know, we have the G7 as well. We just over the weekend was in Cornwall. Um, and there was some talk about climate change there as well, but obviously coronavirus and unfortunately Brexit kind of took the, to the main stage. But this is like the year for the UK really to, we've got all these great targets. I think, I think we have got the best targets in the world, maybe America kind of compete. But so we just need to turn those target into action and kind of great, give a world, give a great example. You know, Boris talks a lot about global Britain. Well, this is the year to make global Britain about protecting the whole world and, and stopping climate, well, not stopping climate change, but limiting climate change. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you mentioned about affecting individuals um, in terms of when we're, when we're making these improvements to combat climate change. I think that's also quite important because obviously like governments making changes, companies making changes, but it's after like each and every one of us really, like with any issue, if you care about whatever it is, you know, it's a great like signing petitions and like doing all that stuff and like calling on the government to do things. But if you can take personal action towards like a goal, then um, obviously that's preferred and that's what you, know, you should do. So, you know, what kind of your like top things or that an individual can do to kind of reduce their impact on climate change? Yeah, exactly. As a, as a consumer of all these different things that, you know, create emissions, we're, we are responsible for the demand side of the supply and demand equation and the changes to reduce your own carbon emissions. Any changes at all can be good. So um, kind of eating less meat, you know, obviously driving an electric car, kind of getting public transport, you know, rather than driving where you can. Little changes that, you know, generally everyone can make. You know, it's not, you know, not, not, no one's kind of forcing you to make drastic, drastic changes to your lifestyle suddenly. But little things that you can do that will slowly reduce your carbon emissions, you know, at a, at a very, very small inconvenience can be good. And not only that, but also choosing zero carbon alternatives can have a huge impact in signaling to companies there is a market for this. So by choosing maybe a plant-based meal for dinner rather than meat for dinner, you're signaling to companies that they, sh they sh should keep putting effort into developing low-carbon products and that it's going to be worth it. Because without economic incentives, these products and innovations just won't be developed at the pace we need them to be. Yeah, I think that's important to know that like, you're active in this process as a consumer, that like, your choices does affect what these companies decide to make. I mean, we can all see like how veganuaries kind of taken off and in even like over the last few years, just the amount of, of vegetarian and vegan options has like exploded. It's like ridiculous. If you go a few years ago, like, you can go into Wagamama today, get like a vegan menu, you go to so many different places, like, and it, it's so common and it's really great that all these companies are really putting out um, all these options for people to take. It really shows like the power that consumers like do have. We spoke about energy companies as well earlier. Um, it's really like that is the way of you know, how we spend our money is it's important. I mean, sorry, ethical consumers in terms of when you're buying clothes as well, and in terms of like how they treat their workers, etc. But you know, equally ethical consumers in terms of what you do to the environment is also um, just as as important. I think if it's easily accessible, people will feel like they want to do it more and they they would feel like it's easier for them. If it's going to turn into a complicated thing, people, especially like uh, like young people, would probably pick convenience. People want to have like a fast way of doing things. It's just like they're how it is, like how we spoke about the electric cars. Um, so the fact that restaurants and supermarkets are advertising this, like so in people's faces, it's a good thing because it is showing people the power of like the change that they're doing yeah because often it's like a hard like way up in terms of 
per perceived personal cost to like what not like again to the environment or to the planet but you can't like you can't see that you can't measure that but you can clearly see when you've you know when something's a lot cheaper um in terms of for example let's say you're traveling to like paris or whatever you can get the train but it'll cost you like probably double triple as much as a flight unfortunately and that's a kind of another another issue that the cost of like rail and and and, and getting a plane is just so in terms of the environment is, is like the you know, plane is so much worse yet it's so much cheaper so that in order to encourage people to, to do that more and then that kind of would need to be sorted out and well, hopefully we'll have planes that can, can run on like hydrogen fuel or other carbon neutral fuels but in terms of like long distance travel it's just considerably cheaper to get these worse carbon even to like drive there is a lot cheaper you're driving to like Scotland um, and getting a train in terms of the petrol so that's so some of the industry needs to go. But yeah, like Talia said, it's important to, wait. it needs to be available, it needs to be financially easy in order for people to make that decision to, okay, I will switch over to what's better for the environment. Because if that personal cost is so great, then people aren't gonna be willing to do that. Exactly, if there's kind of little difference between your two options, your clean option and your carbon option, then you can quite easily make the change and it will just be a matter of, the government and private companies coming together and working together to close that gap because even though like you said there are loads more vegan options and vegetarian options they're still more expensive and if you're on a student budget you're not necessarily going to opt for that if you're doing it for the environment so it's definitely something that needs to still kind of be encouraged yeah have you seen um the documentary sea spiracy and cowspiracy on netflix yeah yeah, yeah. i re recently watched them and i was vegetarian before but i had no idea kind of the, the, what the uh, agriculture, animal agriculture and, and fishing industries really did to the, to the planet. Because always, I don't know about you, when I used to think about going green, it'd be, oh, recycle, don't use plastic straws, don't use single-use bags. Like, yeah, sure, I'm sure that, you know, eating a, a veggie burger is probably better, but like, or turning off a light for, you know, instead of leaving on for a few hours. But they used all those, like, the main change, that's what I would think were the main changes. But that documentary and kind of subsequent research kind of really highlighted that you know how much um, carbon emissions those industries actually do produce. Even compared, even comparing to what we see as the travel industry, we would probably say is like the biggest, which isn't the biggest after all. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of it's it's a much, it's on a much smaller scale of kind of travel. You may not you know want to spend double or triple on a train like you said compared to getting a plane to paris but if you if it, you're talking about kind of one two quid here and there on food just to kind of eat vegetarian and vegan options it's you know there's they're making less excuses for you to be able to kind of choose the carbon emission option yeah and i kind of i guess after watching those i want to kind of stress like how kind of bad the animal um animal agriculture and in terms of fishing and industries like is like also scientists in, in 2018 so that going vegan is probably this is actually what made me vegetarian i remember seeing this in the news and starting my journey um, it's probably the best way of reducing carbon footprint and could reduce an individual's carbon footprint up to 73 percent and these are kind of like minor changes like in terms of getting a veggie, even like, like the odd times getting a veggie burger rather than a normal burger, the amount of carbon emissions you're saving is like considerably quite large. And if the whole world went vegan, it would reduce the farmland by up to 75% and also massively reduce um, water usage. 
I like, and that's like, I mean, think of farmland and how what that land could be used for. And especially considering that a lot of um, farmland, like, um, especially in, in Amazon, like when deforestation happens, like according to World Bank, nearly 75% of deforested areas of the Amazon is now used for livestock rearing. So it really shows that everyone would agree that cutting down like the, the Amazon rainforest is wrong. But most of that is used for animal rearing. So if we could, if we reduce our use of, you know, if you stop eating as many animal products, then the, the need for like clearing all these forests um, reduces and the amount of food availability in the world would dramatically increase. Because instead of using loads and loads of feed, oh, sorry, of fields to feed like a few cows, which feed like maybe like 50, 100 people, we could use those fields to grow crops, which feed like that hundreds and thousands of people. And so it's just so much more like an efficient process rather than having to use like the middle, the middleman being the cow, you could just eat straight from the original source, the plants. Yeah, and it says, um, there's a source that says, livestock farming contributes 18% of human produced greenhouse gas emissions worldwide, which is obviously a lot, and something that needs to be looked at and dealt with quite sufficiently. Um, but I just feel like, the fact that what James was saying about um, if the whole world went vegan shows a lot about how the amount that we eat of meat really contributes to this whole issue. Um, but I, I do feel like in the last few years, people have been trying, if they haven't gone fully veg vegan or veggie, they've been more conscious of the decisions they make. Like I know a lot of my friends wouldn't call themselves veggie or vegan, but they're conscious of what they eat, will only eat meat like once a week. So there's definitely a change that's uh, going on. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's great, you know, to, to still, I think Tesco's, every little helps, but it's kind of true. Like, oh, like someone's making like a dramatic, like going fully vegan is difficult, going fully veggie is difficult, take some time and whatever, but even just making those small changes, I think as an individual, fine, you're making, you'll make a difference, but if, if the whole like of the UK, like only at meat like once a week, that's like, a, you know, what, like um, six out of seven, uh, not great at maths but like a large percentage reduction on the amount of meat that's going to be eaten and so that's obviously going to change the industry and what they're producing um so it really shows like yeah you know, on an individual level you make a difference but when you multiply that by like the whole country like that difference is massive um and kind of on a on a, like a thing that seaspiracy kind of talks about and um just kind of I know it kind of is in public discourse in terms of like, I know whenever I go to Starbucks now and you like have to suck on those like paper straws and the first like five, 10 minutes is fine. Then towards the end, it starts getting like really like soggy and really gross. And everyone's like, I can't believe to do this. Why can't we use paper straws? Um, so plastic straws, they were so much nicer. Um, and because people think that, I don't know, we, I had this perceived image that the whole ocean was just full of plastic straws, right? Or like plastic bags, because clearly that's, those are stuff we've been told like we can't use and everything else is like, Okay, cut down on plastic, but plastic straws are like, you know, is the devil. Um, but really, like, it's really does not, plastic straws are obviously like not the best, but um, in terms of contributing to like ocean plastic, it really isn't like a dramatic percentage. Um, and like, sea spirits kind of like shows that actually fishing and like the left, like when they leave over the fishing nets and all, all of that involves is actually the largest contributor to plastic in the ocean. So really like, it's just great that we made all these like small steps, but in terms of the larger like picture, they're kind of like irrelevant. I think 
it's like you know we're doing a few percent and it's really like fishing is kind of the main industry that if you want to talk about protecting our oceans and stopping plastic um getting in them then like fishing is the main industry that we kind of need to like take not take on but you know kind of reduce the amount of fish we're eating that that'll make a dramatic much more of a dramatic increase than cutting out like cutting down on the amount of plastic straws or plastic bags we're using not to say that you should shouldn't do that you should but you know there are some bigger fish to fry yeah exactly and kind of looking at the larger system and obviously individual actions are important but the bulk of the emissions come from the larger systems you know that go on in everyday life and so kind of highlighting like you said like what sea spirity do and what these shows do highlighting the problems and kind of making people and mainly you know local and national leaders understand that long-term climate change issues are just as important to think about as healthcare and jobs and and you know engaging in the political process as much as you can or as much as you feel you can is just as important as the individual actions you can take yeah i think that's a good message to end on so um thank you josh for joining us for this episode thank you, thank you. i find it really interesting uh, listening to you and hopefully the listeners i'm sure they would as well um and that would be it for this week there should be for one of the last episodes of the club of the podcast but and we'll see speak to you guys again soon thank you bye this is a burn fm podcast